Good morning. It's such an honor to be here with you guys. Uh, does anybody know what yesterday was? First day of fall, which is my favorite day of the entire Good job, Jim. My favorite day of the entire year. And I think it's because I grew up in Alaska and we didn't really have fall. We didn't have four seasons. We had three. So we had the eternal winter of darkness. We had breakup, which was when all the snow and ice melted and everything was incredibly muddy and smelled funny. And then that gave birth to mosquito season which some people call summer, but there you don't call it summer. And so I'm especially fond of the fall. We would come and visit my grandma who lives in Milton Free Water during like the first couple of weeks of school. We would be running around in tank tops and shorts and sandals and people are around us looking like we're crazy people because they have boots and scarves and sweaters. I remember being so angry as a kid because my grandma wouldn't open the pool for us. It's 60 degrees. It's hot. You need to open that thing. But the fall just has special memories for me. When we moved to Walla Walla when I was a kid, uh, that was my favorite time to ride horses. There's just something so beautiful and refreshing about a sunny, crisp day. Uh, So our girls also went back to school this fall. Fall brings new challenges, new beginnings, and both of our daughters started at new schools this year. And so I've found myself as a parent talking a lot about wisdom with my daughters and and just tossing out things like, make wise choices. (laughs) Okay. Be wise in your friendships. Okay, mom. Cool. Are you wise with the way you're using your time? But the way I've been utilizing this concept is more of a like, okay, don't get into trouble, versus what actual biblical wisdom looks like. So that's what I wanted to talk about this morning, because I think that it's such a rich concept, and it's not one that I feel like we put a lot of weight into or thought into, at least I don't. Uh, But the more it came out of my mouth, the more I felt like maybe I was doing it a disservice. And so I wanted to look at what God has to say about wisdom and how do we function as a wise people, as a community that embraces wisdom. So we have a lot of, I think, misunderstandings about wisdom. Uh, we We hear things like the wise old man, right? So if If you're older, you're automatically wise. And so when you teach people to wax on and wax off, it's not kooky, it's wisdom because you're you're old. And and I don't think that that holds up. And here's why. Because life experience and wisdom are not intrinsically connected. Now, you can teach wax on, wax off and not be kooky because you have lived a life of experience and you understand that that's the best modality, but that is not the same thing as biblical wisdom. And I love that because that means that in my 30s, I can be wise, that it isn't something I have to put off until I get older, that right now when I tell my kids to make wise decisions, that's something within their grasp. And I think that's really, really empowering. And so if I've not made the case enough, we're going to look into Proverbs chapter 2 and kind of dig into why wisdom is worth studying. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, please open with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Verse 1 says, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate 
on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. So down the road in Matthew, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like a hidden treasure. Something worth it, something worthy, something worth our time. Wisdom is worth our time. So not only is this talking about wisdom, and this is a a father to a child recording his thoughts, this is Solomon, there's an entire genre of literature in the Bible called the wisdom literature. An entire grouping of books of the Bible that are used and useful for imparting wisdom. So this is a really big deal, and one that, again, quite honestly, I, I don't think I've put enough stock into. So I'm excited to look at that with, with our time today, and, and hopefully uh, you can pick up some things like I've picked up in preparation. Uh, so we're going to define some terms, but before that, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Amelia Bedelia. Okay, so Amelia Bedelia, when I was a kid... She's a fictional character, although there's definitely a part of me that wishes she was real. Uh, She takes everything so literally that you can't tell her to steal home base without having her run to home base and steal it. Literally, take it. But something really cool is now they have a series where Amelia Bedelia was a kiddo. And my girls have really enjoyed these books, and they are quite funny. So I'm going to read you some of Amelia Bedelia, because I think she's a really good picture of what lacking in wisdom may look like. So this is from Amelia Bedelia means business, which for her means business is mean. As she stood there gazing at all of the yummy desserts, Amelia realized that she had completely forgotten what the man had ordered. She turned her brain inside out. Was it easy as pie or was it a piece of cake? Oh, was it easier to bake a pie than a cake? You don't have to frost a pie and that's easier. But you don't have to roll out dough for cake. Then again, hello there, Mike called. Did you forget me? I'm really in a hurry. Fast, said Amelia Bedelia to herself. That's a piece of cake. That's it. She brought him a piece of cake. Cake, he said. I ordered pie. Sorry, said Amelia Bedelia. I'm just learning. I can tell, said Mike. And I'm late. Just bring me a piece of cherry pie and step on it. (laughs) Amelia Bedelia dashed off to get his pie, but now she was even more confused than ever. Why did he want her to step on it? She remembered Pete's rule. The customer is always right. She dashed back to Mike and put his pie on the counter. At last, he said, sighing happily. As she lifted his fork to take the first bite, Amelia Bedelia climbed up onto the counter. What are you doing? asked Mike. Get off the counter. Hey, get off. Just then, Pete came out of the kitchen. What's all the commotion? he asked. Amelia Bedelia, what are you? Amelia Bedelia raised her foot and stepped on that tasty slice of pie with all her might gooey cherry pie feeling spurted all over the counter, all over Mike, and all over Pete. Mike leaped to his feet. That does it, he yelled. I am out of here. As we talk about wisdom and we talk about how different aspects of wisdom lead into application, I think it's really important that we distinguish knowledge or information from wisdom. 
And it's really, really important because now we're going to flip over to Matthew 23, and Jesus has some things to say about knowledge and information versus application. So this is Matthew 23, chapter, excuse me, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scriptures inside, scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Goes on in verse 23, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel." So the Pharisees were the religious elite of Jesus' time, and they were the ones responsible for teaching the law of Moses. They knew a whole lot of things. They knew how to obey. They knew how to follow the letter of what was written. Every single I was dotted. Every single T was crossed. And yet they didn't live a life that was worthy of following. They didn't live lives that set examples, and they ignored the most important things. They used their knowledge for their own selfish gain. And I can say that with sass because I have operated in that same way in my life. When I first became a believer, when I was like, okay, Jesus is kind of fascinating. I think I'm going to think that this is true. I decided that the best thing I could do was to learn all the things and to memorize all the verses and to follow all the rules. And the hard part about that kind of heart posture is then I felt like it was my job to make sure everybody else learned all the things and followed all the rules. And I didn't live a life of compassion. I didn't live a life of grace. I had no room for people to grow. They either got it or they didn't, and they were in or out. That's knowledge without understanding. And that kind of knowledge can be very damaging. That kind of knowledge, the kind of knowledge that puffs us up, that knowledge without understanding can do harm, not only to ourselves, but to the people around us. Because then I found myself, not only you're out and I'm in, I went around and kind of told people, hey, you're out and I'm in. Biblical trivia, which is kind of a silly thing, was kind of my go-to. Like, I liked knowing the things and having facts. And please do not hear that I think knowing your Bible is a problem. I think it's important that we understand that Scripture was written for our growth and for our benefit and for the benefit of our communities. 
But knowing things just to know them can be so damaging. Have you ever met really, really smart people who just aren't so kind? We all maybe have like a coworker in mind who knows all the things, uh, but when you try to have a conversation with them, instead of listening with compassion, they decide that they're going to fix your problem. Again, that at one point was definitely me. Like you brought me your problem and I would fix it. There wasn't a relational understanding. And sometimes just knowledge can do that to us. It can make us puffed up or proud. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 talks about how knowledge can puff up, but how love can edify and encourage and exhort, can build up. And so knowledge without understanding can be very dangerous, especially in the wrong hands. And I know I have the wrong hands. I know that that's true of me, and so I I think it might be true of, of more. I hope. I hope I'm not alone in that. Wisdom and knowledge are simply different. Wisdom has a connection piece. It has a purpose outside of our own benefit. And I think that that was what was missing in the life of a Pharisee, is they allowed their knowledge to be for their own benefit. And just in case they weren't getting enough attention for doing all of the right things, they drew that attention to themselves because wanting affirmation for the things that we know, looking for validation, looking to be good enough because of the knowledge that we have is an endless pursuit. We can't trick enough people into thinking that we're better to fulfill that longing in our heart. We can't ace enough tests. We can't get enough promotions. We can't you know, lead enough committees to prove that we're good enough because that isn't what this is about. You know, when we look back at at that first section from Proverbs, he's saying pursue insight and understanding. Because when you apply insight and understanding, our knowledge is an action. That's when those two things combine to make us people of wisdom. We're going to return to Proverbs chapter 2, so if you'll flip back for me, we're picking up in in verse 5. And it says this, Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. So again, knowledge is not bad. Here we see the father speaking to his son or his daughter, it's his child, pursue knowledge of God. That looks like being responsible and, and trying to figure out, like, if we're on a journey and we're trying to discover who God is and what his heart is like, we've got to learn some stuff, right? We have to be willing to dig in, willing to look at things, maybe even sometimes be a little skeptical and ask hard questions and have hard conversations. We pursue knowledge of God. But it goes on, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He has both. He gives both. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, 
just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter the heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. So if we return back to that Matthew section, the Pharisees ignore justice, mercy, and faith. And yet wisdom, in verse 9, understanding what is right, just, and fair. So neglecting these aspects, it's easy to do. It's easy for us to know things, and, and I would argue sometimes to be afraid of not knowing things so much that we have to be concrete, but if we're not careful, it can lead us to neglect the greater things, the right, just, and fair things. But before we go any further, I just want to camp a little bit on verse 5. Because it's a tricky statement, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. So I wanted to talk about what fear of the Lord looks like. Because some of us feel like we have the corner on the market of being fearful, right? So like when I say, who is God? I don't know, but he's mad at me. Fearing the Lord is a really interesting way of phrasing acknowledgement of who he is. So I really genuinely, oh, hello, really genuinely uh, feared God as, as a, a newer believer. Like, I knew, knew knowledge, knew that if I messed up again, God would be done with me. I knew that in the depths of my soul, and that's what drew me and drove me to knowledge instead of a relationship with God. I was just waiting for him to cut me off. I mean, because sometimes we do that to one another and we've had that done to us and that is a very, very painful experience. And so we can kind of assume that if we do that to each other and we've done that to someone and they've done it to us, that maybe God is like us in that. And so we need to be fearful that we'll mess up and he won't want us anymore. That's not what the Bible is talking about. And I think that we camp on this fearing God and we ignore the love that's poured out over and over and over again throughout the Bible. So fearing God, being the beginning of understanding, is really a beautiful thing. So I think of it in this way. We went to the coast at the beginning of the month, and we learned about something called sneaker waves. Have you guys ever heard of this? Sneaker waves. I had never heard of this. What a sneaker wave is, is the ocean will look calm, and it's beautiful, and... Oh, it smells weird, but it's fine because it's the ocean. And then a wave will come up and attack you and drag you in. I had no idea that that was a thing. Sneaker waves. What I think of when I think of fearing God is that feeling of smallness and of stillness I get staring at the vastness of the ocean. And absolutely, God has the power to be a sneaker wave. Sometimes he takes us so by surprise that we have to catch our breath to get back on his page. There have been times in my life when God called me to or away from something that was like, no, okay, you're cute. I'm not doing that. Because it so took me by surprise. But that isn't something that I have to fear about God. It's something that I need to put in proper perspective. When we have the fear of the Lord, 
It is the idea that there is an adventure going on and we get to be a part of it. You know that feeling that you get right before a ride? You're on a carnival ride and your stomach's about to drop out and maybe your palms are sweaty. I don't have that feeling because I don't do those things. (laughs) But I did once and it was terrible. But that feeling that something big is going to happen and you have butterflies, to me that is the essence of fear of the Lord that in his vastness and his bigness and his ability to go so far beyond what we can comprehend, something, something good is going to happen. He might sneaker wave me into a new context that is so scary. He might call me to talk about him with people I don't even, you know, ah. I mean, we have all of these things that will just really kind of mess us up, right? Throw us off balance. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. And so when we recognize that he has the right to do that and that his understanding goes so far beyond ours, we put him in proper perspective. It's fear of the Lord. It's a willingness to go where my stomach says, okay, I don't know if I want to. It's an acknowledgement that he knows so much more than we do and that in all of those things, he is good. Not to say all things that we experience are. That is not reality. But in all things that we experience, God remains good. So that's fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of understanding. That is that sneaker wave that we can look forward to as we try to figure out what it looks like to live a life of purpose. Speaking of purpose, how beautiful is a life that understands what is right, just, and fair? What a beautiful benchmark of purpose. And that's what wisdom does. It teaches us how to live with purpose, to be a people who think beyond ourselves and to seek out what is right, just, and fair. Wouldn't that be a beautiful final statement? She lived a life that was just and fair. He lived a life of mercy. Those are beautiful things. Wisdom gives us that purpose because then we can follow that path that not only keeps us safe, as Proverbs 2 tells us, but allows us to experience joy in purpose. James chapter 3, verse 13 says, If you are wise and understand God's way, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. I believe fear of the Lord yields humility. I'm not a sneaker wave, and I can't will the ocean to create one. But the God I so love and loves me beyond understanding can. That's a powerful statement. And this goes beyond behavior. I think that's super important. As we look at this verse in James, yeah, prove it by living. Some of us hear, okay, go do these things. I know I tend to hear, go do these things, and make sure that it looks like you were living a life. But this goes beyond behavior. A heart that's truly humble keeps God in proper perspective and looks at ways to serve. A heart that is humble, a heart that is cultivated out of wisdom, will do good things knowing that so many good things have been done for us. And when we serve God with a humble heart, we do so without the need for recognition. We don't need long tassels or extra big prayer boxes tied to our forehead. 
We don't need to get seats of honor, and we don't need to be at the head of the table at the banquet. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom and the way it fleshes out into our lives. Going on in James 3, uh, verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. True wisdom moves us to intentional, loving action beyond ourselves. And guys, I have lived a life where I have not been gentle. I have not been a peacemaker. I have not looked to the interest of others. And it is lonely. It is isolating. And I have to lay in bed at night thinking, well, at least I was right. Oh, my word. That's an exhausting life. I don't have to prove that I'm right. I can have a disagreement, and this might blow some of our minds. I can still like you. Better yet, I can still love you, and you can disagree with me, and I can still experience love from you. The hallmark of a peacemaker is not agreement, it's unity. And wisdom creates a humility that allows unity to blossom. Our final section comes from James chapter 1. If you need wisdom, anybody need wisdom? Yeah, this sounds really great, but how do we get it, right? Because that's what I would be thinking if I were you. Sure, that sounds cool. Um, is, there, is there a vaccination? Is there a, do I sign up? Is there a sheet on the back table? God is so good in the way he speaks to us and reveals things to us. He puts it right there. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. That is so good. That is amazing news. Because I've been really dumb in my life, and I ask God for wisdom, and he helped me. And if he can help me, he can help you. I promise. I was almost beyond repair. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Okay, I used to read this and think divided loyalty. Okay, well, that obviously means Jesus and some other God. So, like, I'm not, I, that's not me. I believe in Jesus, and I think he's God, and so I'm good. I think my understanding has grown from that place. I think what James is writing about is our divided loyalty between God's purposes and our own. Because I used to think, oh, I'm covered because I only worship Jesus, but I want wisdom to make me look better. Well, that's not good. Our divided loyalty so often is between God's purposes and our own. So when we're asking for wisdom, we're not looking for new information. Not exclusively. We're looking for ways to put knowledge into action, to partner knowledge with understanding, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That is something God grants for us and is beautiful, but it means we have to be prepared to be humble and peacemaking, to see opportunities to show and give 
mercy, to receive mercy. So as we ask God, I think it's really powerful to ask him, how do you want me to use the gift that you want to give me? Because he's generous and he desires to grant us wisdom. He wants to give wisdom to people in their 90s and people who are nine. Because as we walk out wisdom, we change the world that we live in. We bring the kingdom near. When we're in a disagreement and we respond with compassion or mercy or love or understanding, that is different than what we experience. That is beautiful. That is wisdom making us peacemakers. So our divided loyalties so often are on the inside. But we can recognize that knowing things for the sake of knowing is exhausting and is empty and is not the better way. Wisdom is so incredibly valuable. It's a precious hidden treasure. And what I appreciate about who God is and how he loves us is that he invites us to unearth that treasure and apply it in our own lives. Living a wise life is foundational for how we walk out this crazy journey with Jesus and with one another. Wisdom is from God for us and for the health of all of our contexts. We can be people of wisdom in every scenario we find ourselves in. And all we have to do is ask. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for who you are and uh, just how you desire to bless us and, and grow us. Lord, I thank you that wisdom is accessible and available. Help us to be people who are single-minded in our pursuit of it so that we can honor and serve you and others. In Jesus' name, amen.